And this morning we're going to look at verse 16 and 17, Ephesians 3, verse 16 and 17. Uh, this week as I was preparing, I was planning to try to get to verse 19, uh, but as I began to prepare, uh, it was just too much stuff to try to cover in one week. So we're going to pick back up in verse 16, verse 17. Uh, the last time we looked at this text, just a couple weeks ago, we, we began in verse 14, uh, and we saw that this is Paul's second prayer for the Ephesians. We learned that as we pray, our attitude in prayer is more important than our posture in prayer. We learned that we can bow our knees in prayer, but if we don't bow our hearts in prayer, prayer really does us no good. That when we pray, we're to come before God in humility, we're to come before God in reverence, we're to come before God recognizing that He is God and we are not. That when we pray, our attitude is more important than our posture because Paul said, I bow my knees before the Father. Telling us that we're to have the right attitude when we approach God. Listen, you can't just approach God any old way you want to approach God. You've got to approach Him knowing that He is God. And you're not God. Amen? We also learn that when we pray, we're to pray to the Father who listens and answers prayer. That when we pray, we're not praying to some false God, but we're praying to our Heavenly Father. We're praying to someone who can hear and answer that our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think that our God can answer our prayer. Amen? We also learn that our praying should include intercession for others. Paul was praying for the Ephesians. He was interceding on their behalf. He was praying that God would strengthen them with power through the Holy Spirit on the inner man. And when we pray, sometimes our praying is selfish. We're concerned about our needs. We're concerned about me, myself, and I. And we forget about praying for the needs of other people. But I believe if we would focus on the needs of other people, we find out God would take care of us. Amen? That if we would lift other people up, God would meet our needs. In fact, do you realize that if we would all pray for other people, everybody would have somebody praying for them and nobody would get left out and needs would get met? We also saw that we should pray for our spiritual needs more than our physical needs. Because it is good to bring our daily request to God. It's good to ask Him to give us daily bread. It's good to ask God to touch us physically. But so many times we never get to the deeper issues of the heart. We never get down to where God really wants to deal with our character. And God wants to touch us on the inside. Listen, you can be strong on the outside, but if you're not changed on the inside, there's issues and there's problems. We need God to do something on the inside of us. Amen? And so today we're going to pick back up in verse 16. And there's some truths and principles. In fact, I want to give you three principles this morning as we dive into these verses. So look with me beginning in verse number 16. He says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might or strengthened with power by His Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And that's where we got our last principle from the last time we looked at it. That we used to, to pray about our spiritual needs more than just our physical needs. And we need power on the inside. And so here's our first principle for today. We need spiritual power to live the Christian life. We need spiritual power to live the Christian life. 
This is the first petition that Paul makes for the believers in Ephesus. And the first request that he makes is that God would give them spiritual power. That God would give them spiritual strength. That word might there in verse 16, it comes from the Greek word that gives us our English words dynamite or dynamic. It refers to inherit power or the power which resides within something by nature. This doesn't mean that we possess spiritual power in and of ourselves. But it does mean that we're, as we're in a relationship with God, we have been empowered. Do you understand that? That when you ask Jesus to come into your life by faith, that you now become empowered by His Spirit. The word also refers to moral power and excellence of soul. And so when Paul talks about us being strengthened with power by His Spirit in the inner man, he's talking about the strength of God on the inside of us that enables us to live for God. And so he's saying, I want you to be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit on the inside so that you can live for God, live for His glory, live for His honor, and live the life that God has called you to live. I'm thankful today that when God saved me, that He didn't leave me by myself and say, now go do the best you can. But He gave me the power and enablement of the Holy Spirit to live for Him in such a way that I can honor Him and glorify Him with my life. Aren't you glad that God didn't save you and then kind of toss you out the nest so to speak and say, now go do the best you can. But He gave you the ability to live for Him. That He doesn't just say, now you're saved, now go try as hard as you can. But He gives you what you need to live for Him. You see, I've heard people all my life in church say, it's hard to serve God. It's hard to live for Him. But listen, if you're truly saved and the Spirit of God is working on the inside of you, it's not that hard to live for Jesus. Why? Because greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. I've got somebody bigger on the inside of me than somebody that's bigger on the outside in the world. Amen? But you don't know why it's so difficult for some people to live for God? Because you're the one trying to live for God rather than the Holy Spirit inside of you trying to live for God. You're trying in your power to live for Him rather than through His power to live for Him. You think if I just try harder, I can do it. That's not what Paul's praying for. Do you notice where the power comes from? That you'll be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit. And where does the power work? In the inner man. It's not power for your physical body. It's power for your inside. Because that's where we need power. Because where does temptation come? It starts on the inside. It starts in your mind. That's where the battle's raging. That's why he said, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the flesh and the Spirit, they're opposed to each other. They're warring against each other. What's the flesh? It's not just this body. It's that old sinful nature. It's that old man, that old woman that you're still carrying around with you that fights against you. And that's why you need spiritual power to live the Christian life. But notice, it's Holy Spirit's power. It's not power that you muster up by yourself. It's not I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps and do better to change. But that's how most of us live our lives. We fail and we think, well, I'm just going to do better. I'm going to muster up the strength. I'm going to muster up the power. I'm going to flex my muscles. And I'm going to conquer this thing. And then you wonder why two weeks later you fail again. Because it's your power you're trying to operate in. 
You see, this isn't the power that says when the going gets tough, the tough get going. This isn't self-discipline. This isn't the power of positive thinking. This isn't some kind of mental renewing. This isn't some kind of self-talk or positive confession. This isn't getting a grip on yourself. This isn't turning over a new leaf. This is spiritual power that comes from the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. life God wants us to live comes from the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And listen, that's the only resource that we have available to us to live the life that God wants us to live. Now, let me say this. Prayer does you no good unless the Holy Spirit's operating in your life. Reading the Word of God does you no good unless the Holy Spirit's operating in your life. You can't understand this book unless the Spirit of God's operating in your life. You can't pray effectively unless the Spirit's operating in your life. Now here's the thing when Paul prays this. He's not talking about some dramatic one-time experience. He's talking about an ongoing experience of God's power to change our lives as we lean on the Spirit and yield to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit every day. In Ephesians 5.18, he tells us this. He says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. When he talks about being filled with the Spirit, he's referring to a continual experience. You see, us being Pentecostal people, many times we, we want to check off the boxes. I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me just say something about this idea of being saved. Listen, we have been saved, but we're being saved, and we will be saved. I preached a message on that one time. The three tenses of salvation. Yes, we have been saved, but guess what? We're still being saved. That's sanctification. And we will be saved. That's glorification. You see all three in the Word of God. But we want to check the box off. We have been saved. And to a certain extent, yes, we have been. I am saved. We want to check the box off that we're sanctified. Well, guess what? You'll never be truly sanctified until you cross into the threshold of heaven. And then you'll be glorified. So listen, you can't check off a nice, nice, neat box this side of heaven saying you're totally sanctified. But then we want to check off the box, I'm spirit-filled, and then leave it like we got it all. Listen, you might got spirit-filled 30 years ago, but let me ask you, are you still spirit-filled? Because here's what I know about my own self personally, and here's what I can say about most of us, here's what I can say about all of us. We tend to leak. This phrase, be filled with the Spirit, it means to be ye being filled, meaning continuously be filled. That means when you get up today, you need to be filled. When you get up tomorrow, you need to be filled. When you get up the next day, you need to be filled. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, Brother Tommy, we need to be filled with the Spirit. So let me ask you, how many days of the year are you being filled with the Spirit? Listen, if you've got more sin in your life throughout the days of the year than you want, I promise you, you're not being filled with the Spirit. If you're getting angrier more throughout the year than you want, I promise you, you're not being filled with the Spirit. If you've got more hate in your life than you do love, you're not being filled with the Spirit. 
If you're gossiping more than you ought to, you're not being filled. It's weird. I didn't plan for all this shouting today. But I did plan on the Holy Ghost working in our lives today. Because I'm preaching to myself today. We need spiritual power to live free. Because here's the thing, you can't conquer your lying and your gossip and your cheating and all that stuff on your own. I can't conquer it on my own. But we've all grown up with the mentality, if you've grown up like I did in a tradition that I did, that tells you just try harder. Listen, try hard, trying harder doesn't get you anywhere. You're still bound. The only way that change takes place is through the power of the Holy Spirit working on the inside. Let me, let me give you three reasons real quick why we need this power. Number one, we need the power of the Spirit because we face problems that are beyond our power to resolve. These are on the screen. You just have to write quickly. We need this power because we face problems that are beyond our power to resolve. You see, we all face things in life that we can't overcome on our own. John 15, 5, he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Let me just say, do you realize that God wants you to bring forth fruit? The only way you'll bring forth fruit is to abide in him, him abide in you, and let the Spirit of God work in you. But notice this, but without me you can do nothing. It's how you can do some things, isn't it, Brother Paul? Say, without me, you can do nothing. We're totally dependent on God. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. But do you realize we often forget this? And it's evidenced by our lack of praise that we aren't dependent on God. Because if we were dependent on Him, we'd pray more. Zechariah 4 and 6, just write that reference down, tells us that it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That it's not your strength, it's not your ability, it's His Spirit. You see, it would be good to ask ourselves this morning, if God withdrew His Spirit from me, how long would it take me to miss Him? If God were to take His Spirit from your life this morning, how long would it take you to miss Him? The truth is, if I could be very blunt this morning, if God withdrew His Spirit, most of us would go on living the same way we've been living. Nothing would change. If God withdrew His Spirit this morning, most churches would go on having church the same way they've always had church and never miss a beat. And I tell you, that's sad and that's tragic. That we could go on living the same way and not even recognize that the Spirit had been withdrawn. And you might say, preacher, you can't have Bible for that. But Samson got up, shook himself, and knew not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. How sad it would be to know that the Spirit of God had departed. And we go on like you. 
me give you a second reason real quick. We need the power of the Spirit because we never outgrow our need for His power, His strength. We need His power because we never outgrow His need for His power. You see, when we get saved, we all start, start out as babes in Christ. And we're totally dependent on God. But here's the thing. Even as you mature, even as you develop in God, you still need His strength. You see, you'll never grow to a place in God where you outgrow Him. No matter how deep you go in Him or how high you go in Him, you'll never get to a place where you never need God and never need His strength. Thirdly, we need the power of the Spirit because God changes our outward behavior by dealing with the inner person. We need the Holy Spirit's power because God changes the outside by dealing with the inside. Paul talks about the inner man being strengthened, the inner man being empowered. That's synonymous with the heart. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. You see, these bodies are wearing out. These bodies are getting weaker. And the older I get, I'm figuring that out. That I can't do things that I used to do. And so this should be a good reminder that our days on earth are limited. And so we should focus on the inner hidden qualities of the heart. Do you know where temptation starts and the battle against it starts? It's what are lost in the heart. It's what are lost on the inside. Jesus tells us that the outward sins that we see all come from our heart. Look at Mark 7, 21-23. He said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from, an end, come from within and defile the man. You see, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Write this reference down, Jeremiah 17.9. That reference tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The word deceitful there in Jeremiah 17.9, it means crooked, polluted, or slippery. slippery. The words translated desperately wicked can also mean incurable. You see, there's a lot of advice floating around the world today that tells people, just follow your heart. Listen, that, that, that's some crazy advice. Don't ever follow your heart because it's deceitful and incurable. You can't follow your heart. Your, your heart will lead you astray. So here's the thing. You might change your outward behavior through different techniques, different methods. But if God doesn't change your heart, you're only learning to be a better hypocrite. The Pharisees that Jesus had so much problems with, they were the religious crowd of His day. They looked good on the outside. But on the inside, Jesus said, you're full of uncleanness, hypocrisy, and iniquity. Hear me well this morning. If the inside of your life is unchanged, you can look good on the outside, but you're lost. And we often get that messed up in the church because we want to focus so much on this outside. And God's concerned about the inside. 
Hear me, if God does something on the inside, the outside's going to change. Amen? But here's what we want to do in the church. We want to tell people, get your act together, clean up, and we forget about God trying to do a work on the inside. We want to clean them before we catch them. Listen, you've got to catch people first before they can be cleaned. Because here's the thing. You can clean up the outside all you want to. You can make them spotless. You can make them pretty. But listen, if God doesn't do a work down on the deep side of their soul, they're still going to go to hell. And let me just say to us here today, you listen, you can stop your drinking, you can stop your drugs, you can stop your fornicating, but if God don't change your heart, guess what? You're still going to go to hell just like the person who's still drinking and still fornicating and still doing the things of the world. Because stopping sin doesn't take you to heaven. Believing in Jesus is what takes you to heaven. And I know some of you have a problem with what I just said, but listen, it's not our behavior that takes us to heaven. It's our belief that takes us to heaven. Because there's going to be a lot of people who stopped a lot of things. Still going to end up in hell. And I know some of you are frustrated with that. And some of you wish I wouldn't say things like that. But it's true. Because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And then they'll say, we prophesied. We cast out demons. We did... Many wonderful works in your name. And what's Jesus going to say? Depart from me, I never... What does he say? I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you, and you fell away, but I never knew you. That ought to put the fear of God in us. That we could spend our entire lives in church and never... Experience a change on the inside. And we go through the motions thinking we're fit for heaven but may have never experienced a change on the inside. That we went to an altar, Brother Paul, and prayed a prayer. Maybe shed some tears and got emotional. But maybe Brother Junior never really met Jesus. I don't know about you, but that that stirs me. To know that I could have been in this thing for so long, Brother Jimmy, and have never met Jesus. Why do you think the Bible tells you to examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith? To make your calling and election sure. I can't do that for you. Brother Jimmy can't do that for somebody else. You can't do that for somebody else. I can't tell you whether or not you're saved, whether or not you're going to heaven. But I know this, the Bible says that the Spirit of God will bear witness with my spirit. That I'm a child of God. And He'll bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. I've got to move on, but we've got to understand that the Spirit of God wants to work in our lives. And I preached last week about quenching the Spirit of God. We need to allow Him free access into our lives. We need to let Him move in our lives. And we need to stop quenching the Spirit of God in our lives. 
Listen, if He's told you to knock things off, you need to knock it off. If He's told you to stop saying things that you ought not to say, you need to stop saying them. If He's told you to stop going places you've been going, you need to stop going. You need to stop quenching the Spirit of God in your life and let Him move in your life. We need His power to live. I want you to understand today that genuine Christianity, being born again, is not some self-help program. Let me just say this. Jesus doesn't just want to just attach Himself to your life. He wants to be your life. I'm afraid that many times we want to see Jesus as just an add-on, as just a fixture. Jesus isn't just going to be a fixture. He's going to take over. He's not just going to refurbish your life. He's going to renovate your life and make it new. I'm afraid we're living in a day where so many Christians, they want to just try to date God and not be devoted to Him. That's why some of us will leave this morning and you won't see Him, you, you, you won't talk to Him this week, you won't open His Word this week, and you won't show up again until next Sunday because you want to date Him. And then you wonder why you've been carrying around the baggage of sin you've been carrying around for 15 years and that won't have any victory because the Spirit of God the power of God can't operate in your life like it wants to God's in the business of changing hearts and changing lives God doesn't want to leave you as you are that God loves you too much to leave you as you are Amen I'm glad He don't leave me as I am and we may not be all that we ought to be but we I hope we can say we're not what we used to be. But I pray that we're being renewed day by day and we're growing. Let me give you this second principle. We might not get to the third one. Look at verse 17. Back up a minute. Let's look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. You know, we tell people when they get saved, You've got to receive Jesus into your heart. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. This is the only verse I know of, according to my recollection, in all the Bible that speaks of Jesus being in our heart. So here's the second principle. Jesus comes to live in our hearts by faith. Jesus comes to live in our hearts by faith. I want you to understand this morning, you don't become a Christian because of the things you do. You don't become a Christian because you're religious or join the church or affiliate with a certain denomination. We don't go to heaven because of anything that we do. You see, the Bible tells us we all have a huge problem that we're born with. We're sinners. We're all infected with a disease. It's a disease called sin. We all have sin and come short of the glory of God. Sin is what keeps us out of heaven. And let me just say this. It's not sins. Plural. It's not sins that you commit that keep you out of heaven. It's sin. A sin nature that was passed to us from Adam. You understand that? It's not sins. It's not drinking. It's not fornicating. It's not uh, adultery. 
that keeps you out of hell. It's sin. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took on sin. That makes sense. You commit sins because you are a sinner. You have a sinful nature. But Jesus came to fix that. He became a sacrifice for our sin. He came and died on the cross and took our place. You see, you couldn't die for your sin. You couldn't pay for your sin. I couldn't pay for my sin. So Jesus came and died and paid the penalty for our sin. And the way that we are saved is not by being good. It's not by being on our best behavior. We are saved by believing that Jesus died for us. We're saved by faith. The Bible tells us that we must receive Christ. John 1.12 but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on His name. This is how you become born again. This is how you become a new creature in Christ. By faith, you open your heart to Jesus. You receive Him by faith. He comes to live inside of you and He changes your life. He lives in us. He dwells in us by faith. It has nothing to do with how good we are. Whether or not you prayed a certain prayer. Whether or not you were baptized or had good Christian parents. Jesus comes to live within us when we believe and trust in Him. By faith. Romans 10, 19. If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We believe. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved, how? Through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. This is when Paul and Silas, they were thrown into the Philippian jail and God sent an earthquake as they began to pray and sing hymns. The Philippian jailer, he says this. It says, He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Listen, that's the greatest question anybody will ever ask. What must I do to be saved? And here's the answer. They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do they add anything to it? Believe and join the church. Believe and be on your best behavior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. No, do, I, do I believe that belief in Jesus will change your behavior? Yes. But you've got to believe right first. That's where it starts. By faith. We're saved not as the result of us doing anything but other than believing in Jesus Christ. Hear me. Faith opens the door and receives Him. That's it. Let me give you this third principle. He 
It comes to live in our heart by faith. But here's the thing. Since Jesus dwells within us, He should feel at home within us. Since Jesus dwells within us, He should feel at home within us. The word dwell there in verse 17, it means to settle down and to be at home. It has the idea of someone being comfortable at home. And so Paul is praying that Jesus would be down home in your heart. And so here's the thing. Paul isn't necessarily praying that they would be saved. They already are. I just made the principle uh, to us that he comes to live in our heart by faith so we would understand that it's by faith that we're saved. But Paul isn't praying for their salvation. He's letting them know that, hey, you're already saved, but Jesus wants to be comfortable in your life. Jesus wants to be at home in your heart. And so the idea here is that Christ will not be comfortable in the house of our heart until our hearts are controlled by the Spirit of God. That's why he prayed in 16 that we would be strengthened with power by the Spirit in the inner man. You see, we need power on the inside not only to live for God, but so that Christ can be comfortable on the inside. You see, Jesus lives in our hearts the moment we've trusted Him as Savior, but He won't be home there. He won't be comfortable there until the Holy Spirit takes control of our heart and takes control of our life. But you see, when the Spirit of God controls us, He'll clean up our life and make it comfortable for Jesus to be. That's why I preached last week, you quench not the Spirit of God. That's why when you have disobedience and unconfessed sin in your life, He can't be comfortable there. He don't pack up and leave. He don't move out and abandon you. But He's not comfortable. He's grieved. He's quenched. And so this verse here, it's not about salvation. It's about sanctification. See, Jesus can't live in our hearts in comfort and satisfaction until it's cleansed of sin and seeks to do His will. You see, Jesus wants to settle down in our hearts. Jesus wants to be comfortable on the inside of us. You see, Jesus doesn't want just a surface relationship. He wants an ever-deepening fellowship with us. He wants intimacy with us. He wants communion with us. But if we allow disobedience and unconfessed sin to stay in our life, if we have unforgiveness and bitterness on the inside of us that we won't let go of us, He won't be comfortable on the inside of us. He doesn't leave, but He won't be comfortable. Abraham's life is an illustration of this truth. When the Lord came with two angels to visit them in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham and Sarah immediately began to make preparations to entertain their guests in the best possible way. From the rest of the passage there in Genesis 18, it's evident that Abraham and Sarah knew that they were hosting the Lord Himself. They knew that God had shown up along with two angels and they made preparation for them. It's also evident that the Lord felt at home with Abraham and Sarah, that God would sit down and have a meal with them. But it also seems significant to me that just a little while later, the Lord wanted, warned Lot to take his family and flee for their lives. But here's the thing, God Himself, the Lord Himself didn't go. He only sent two angels. Now think about that. Lot was a believer. The Bible tells us that Lot was a believer. But the Lord didn't feel at home in Lot's house. 
as he did Abraham's house. He just sent the two angels. See, he was comfortable, God was, with Abraham. But not with Lot. Why? Because Lot had pitched his tent in Sodom and got close to sin and allowed sin to get into his life. And the Lord won't come Years ago, Robert Boyd Munger wrote a little booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home. In it, he imagines the believer's heart as a home with many rooms. The heart has a living room, a dining room, a bedroom, a kitchen, a computer room, a TV room, many closets, and an attic. And I'm afraid that in this book, he talks about that too many believers keep Christ in the entryway. As if to say, Jesus, I've got you in the door. Now stay there and don't bother the rest of my life. That's how a lot of people live. Jesus, I've, I've invited you into my life, but stay there and don't bother anything else. That I want just enough for you to go to heaven, but not enough for you to change my life. I want enough for you to go to heaven, but not enough for me to cause me to do anything for you. you hear me this morning, Jesus wants to enter every room of your heart. He wants to go into your kitchen, your bedroom, your library, your TV room, your computer room. He wants access to every closet and even to the attic of your heart. God wants to sweep out everything that doesn't please Him. He wants to clean you from top to bottom. God wants to change your life because He wants to be comfortable in your life. He wants to go from room to room until your life, my life, becomes a suitable dwelling place for Him. But when I read this book, it tells me that we are the dwelling place, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And He wants to be comfortable. But hear me this morning. If you keep the doors locked, You'll never be at home. And you'll never be happy. So the question this morning is this. It's not how much of the Lord do I have, but rather, how much of me does the Lord have? This prayer that Paul prays, it's a prayer for a deeper experience between Christ and the believer. You can call it sanctification. You can call it surrender. You can call it dedication. Here's what I'm going to call it. It's what we desperately need that most of us lack. Until Christ is at home in your heart and in my heart, He'll always seem like a stranger even though He lives there. That's sad, isn't it? That Christ could live in us and yet He is a stranger. Because here's the thing. Not every house is a home. How many know there's a difference between a house and a home? And I'm afraid for some believers, this, this here life, this heart, it's just a house for Jesus and it's not a home for Jesus. And it needs to change.
Christ should have first place in our lives. He should be enthroned in our heart. God wants to dwell in our hearts personally, permanently, and powerfully. Jesus doesn't want to be just an occasional guest, an occasional visitor. He's the rightful owner. He created us and He lives there. But sadly, for too many believers, Christ is just present and He's not prominent. Tragically, it's possible for Christ to be in your heart and not be at home in your heart. To be saved and on your way to heaven and yet Jesus isn't comfortable in your life. I know it's quiet this morning, but I hope you're reflecting on what the Spirit of God is saying in this place today. As we begin to wrap things up this morning, I want you to consider the house of your heart today. Jesus may live there, but is He at home? You see, your heart may be His house, it may be His temple, but is it His home? Are you acting as a good host to Jesus Christ in your life? Are you making your heart comfortable so that the Holy Son of God can dwell there? Or is He grieved by sinful words and thoughts and motives and deeds? Does He have full access to your life? I'll close with this. If He's to have full access to our life. If He's to make His home in our hearts, we need the power of God's Spirit on the inside. The reality is, if you study this prayer beginning in verse 14, really the only request that Paul makes is that we be strengthened with the inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's really the only request that he makes and everything else flows from that. Because it's not until God begins working on the inside through His Spirit that you'll experience everything else that Paul begins to lay out in this text. If we want Christ to be at home in us, we need the working of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. But also by faith, we've got to obey Christ as we allow Him to exercise His Lordship over every nook and cranny of our heart. Because here's the thing, when He comes in and He begins to go through room to room of your life and mine, things you've tried to sweep under the rug, things that you've tried to keep from everybody else, He's going to want to bring it out and He's going to want to deal with it. And you've got to be willing to surrender and say, God, I want you to deal with it. I want Him to be at home in me. I want Him to be comfortable in me. And I hope that's your prayer as well. Now, who be at home in our hearts? Would you stand with me?